Why do we have the season of Lent? We can answer it with one word, one very little word, sin. Sin is the reason we have the season of Lent, and in fact, everything we do as Christians, everything in our lives is all because of sin, overcoming sin, that we lost, but by sin we lose heaven, by obedience to the Lord we regain salvation. And of course, our temptation to sin came with Adam and Eve's sin that we hear in the first reading. So even though we know the story very well, let's look at it a little more closely because we're going to learn a lot about the temptation to sin and our own human nature in response to that by seeing how Adam and Eve responded to God. Now, first of all, God gave Adam and Eve the Garden of Eden. Another word for that is paradise. Everything was perfect. God gave them a perfect world with all these beautiful trees for fruit and everything else in it, and he said, enjoy it. Have fun. Enjoy everything I've given you. You can eat the fruit of all the trees. The only thing you can't do is eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or even touch it, or you will die. And of course, that is a beautiful way of God saying, don't try to grab for yourself what rightfully wrong belongs to me. Deciding for yourself what's right and wrong. I am the author of all truth. My mind is the source of all wisdom, all knowledge, all truth. My mind cannot be wrong. Yours can. Just because you think it, just because you feel it, doesn't mean it's right. You can be conceived, uh, deceived. I cannot. Follow me, listen to what I tell you, and paradise will continue, and everything will be fine. Not a bad deal, if you ask me. They, they had a pretty good situation, and they were doing it until Satan came along. It's a completely another talk to talk about why Satan was at war with God. That's for another time, but he was. He rebelled against God and lost, and now he was going to try to get back at God by making Adam and Eve commit the same sin he did, rebelling against God. And he starts with Eve and gives her, obviously, a lie. Because let's face it, Satan is a liar. Nothing that comes from the mouth of Satan can possibly be the truth. And everything we hear from him, any recorded words in the scriptures and elsewhere, are all lies. So he starts with a lie to Eve. Did God really tell you not to eat the fruit of any of the trees of the garden? And Eve sees right away it's a lie. She says, no. God did not say that. We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, only the tree in the center, the knowledge of good and evil, that we shall not eat it or we shall die. But Satan says, no, you will not die. God knows very well the minute you eat the fruit of that tree, you will be like God yourself. You will know right from wrong. No longer will you have to listen to him telling you right from wrong. You can follow your own mind and your own heart. And if you think it's right, then it will be right. And if you feel it's wrong, then it will be wrong. And how often do we see people today who fall to that same temptation, not listening to what God says, but what we're listening to the lies of the world around us. Well, I know God teaches this, but everybody else says it's okay. Well, he said that to Eve. And for some reason, Eve believed him. Eve believed that basically what Satan was saying is, God is deceiving you. He's lying to you. 
He's trying to tell you you will die, but by not having you decide what's right and wrong, he can't control you anymore. This is his way of manipulating you, that he can have power over you. Like a puppeteer just pulling the strings of the marionette, he wants to control you. And if you decide for yourself what's right and wrong, God will have no authority over you because you're just as powerful as God. Why did Eve listen to him rather than God? We do not know. Probably because, as we hear in the story, she saw that it was desirable, that it would be nice to be calling the shots, to be the one making the decisions, and not having to listen to somebody else, especially God, telling us what's wrong. Now, all of the trees of the garden, she had everything there. They could enjoy it. And God meant for them to have a beautiful life there. So God was not telling us, on earth you have to be miserable so that you can be happy with me in heaven. By no means, and even now he's not telling us that. There are some denominations of Christianity that kind of tell us if you're enjoying it, it must be sinful. That's not our Catholic faith. In fact, Hilaire Balak, one of our famous Catholic historians, once wrote, wherever the Catholic sun doth shine, there is music and laughter and good red wine. So we as Catholics do not believe we're meant to live in misery every day. The Lord wants us to enjoy the fruits of the earth, provided we enjoy them according to what he tells us. And I think that's a pretty good deal. Just follow me, do what I tell you is right and wrong, and not listen to yourself or anyone else, and everything will be fine. But like Eve, we make the mistake, and we listen to the world around us. And Eve reached out, and she took the fruit and ate it. And then she gave it to Adam, he ate it, and with that their eyes were opened. And did they recognize they now knew right from wrong, they were just like God, and God sat there saying, drat, now I can't control them anymore? No. They recognized they were naked. They saw their shame. And after that, did Satan say to himself, oh gee, I thought when they ate the fruit of the tree they'd be like God knowing right from wrong. Hmm, I guess I was mistaken on that. Of course not. He knew exactly what was going to happen. And when Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree and realized they were naked, his response was simply, <laughs> that was so easy to get them to disobey God. And he continues to do that every time he tempts us to commit sin. And one thing to remember about Satan is he has no power over us. Some of you may remember Flip Wilson and his character Geraldine, or the devil made me do it. Well, the devil can't make us do anything. All he can do is tempt us. If we don't give in to it, he is powerless against us, like we hear Jesus in the Gospel reading, turning away all of Satan's temptations. So Adam and Eve did not. They listened to the devil rather than God, and they brought the devil's power into the world, and that's now why we have death, and the evils, and the diseases, and the sins, and the natural disasters, and everything we have that has destroyed God's beautiful world was brought in by the disobedience of Adam and Eve. Now, there's another part of the story that we don't hear in our first reading today, and that's how Adam and Eve responded to God when God came to them. Go home and pick up um, chapter 3 of the book of Genesis and read how they responded to him. God goes looking for Adam. He calls out to him, Adam, Adam, where are you? And he says, I'm over here. I heard you walking in the garden, but I hid myself because I was naked. And God says to him, who told you you were naked? You've eaten then from the tree of which I forbade you to eat. Did you not? And Adam says, yes, father, I did. I'm sorry. I know you told me that it was the wrong thing to do. I realize my mistake now. I'm sorry. I apologize. And I promise you it will never happen again. 
Is that how he responded? Not at all. What does he say? Why did you do that? That woman, a couple of verses before she was bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, that woman whom you put here, in other words, also blaming God, if you hadn't created her, this wouldn't have happened. Passing the buck, blaming Eve and blaming God for his own sin. Notice he never took responsibility for what he did wrong and saying before God, yes, I realize what I did was the wrong thing, and I'm sorry. You know, he never in the story says, I'm sorry. So God turns to Eve and asks her, why did you do that? Eve is not as crafty. She tells the truth. She says, the serpent tricked me into it, so I ate of it. Now, she's right. The serpent did trick her into it. But once again, she too does not say, I'm sorry, does not ask for forgiveness. Now, when it comes to the snake, God doesn't turn to him and ask him why he did it because he doesn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> Drum roll, please. Rim shot. Better. Rim shot. So the blame game was going on, blaming everybody else. It's somebody else's fault when I did something wrong. And how often do we see that in our world today? How often do people blame someone else whenever we do something wrong? Look at the world of politics. When was the last time you saw a politician stand up and say to the American people or the people of the state or whatever it is, I'm sorry, I made a bad choice there. I was wrong with that. No, they blame the advice they got from their counsel. I got bad advice. They blame the guy that was in office before him. It's all his fault. Passing the buck, blaming everybody else. And do we not also end up doing the same thing, blaming other people for things, even if they're not really our fault? Oh, yeah, parents do that. You know, when a child does something well and everybody's proud of him, they say, that's my boy. But when the kid gets in trouble in school, look at what your son did. Yeah, it's the spouse's fault, not mine. I'll take credit for the good, and the spouse gets the blame. Do we not do that ourselves in life? Blame everybody else for what we've done wrong, rather than taking responsibility for it for ourselves. And that's the lesson today that the Lord gives us. Yes, we all sin. You sin, I sin, I have to go to confession, you have to go to confession, we all do. And the Lord knows that. And remember, he came to save us from our sins. How does he save us? First of all, by, making, by getting us to acknowledge them. Not to blame everybody else, not to use scapegoats, not to excuse our sins away, but say, yes, Lord, I did this wrong, and I'm sorry, and with your grace, I promise I'll do my best to make sure it never happens again. Just like we teach children in school, in our families, when a child does something wrong, and the kid comes before us, did you do that? We want them to say, uh-huh, okay, why did you do that? I don't know. Well, okay, do you realize now what you did is wrong? Yes. So why did you do it? Well, he started it, uh-uh-uh-uh-uh, don't blame him. What did you do? Yeah, I did that. Were you wrong? Yes. Will you apologize? Yes. Are you going to do your best to make sure it doesn't happen again? Yes. That's what we ask our children to do. That's what us as children of God, he's asking us to do the same thing. Not to defend away our guilt and our sins, but acknowledge them so that the Lord can lift us up and say, okay, now let me take them away, let's forget about it, and now let's move on with the relationship we're meant to have. Let me help you restore what was lost by your sins, what Adam and Eve lost by their sin, ultimately he's going to restore by his death and resurrection, and say, okay now, come out after this and be obedient to the Father. 
And we see how Jesus' obedience to the Father reversed the disobedience of Adam and Eve. And you and I grow in holiness when we too reverse the disobedience. When we acknowledge that we have sinned, bring it before the Lord and allow him to take those sins away from us and heal us. Just like any of you who are parents and your child does something wrong, you want nothing less than to make things right again and restore the good relationship that you want to have with your child. That's what God is doing with us. And so this Lenten journey is a time where we're called to look at our sins, acknowledge them, and work a penance that's going to help us grow out of those sins and rely not on them, not on what the world around us tells us is good for us, but only what God says. To reverse the disobedience of Adam and Eve by being obedient to the call of God our Father. And our catechumens who are with us today and the candidates for completion of initiation or full communion. You today are entering into the final legs of your journey. This is the final thrust. These 40 days of Lent are primarily about you and your final call to conversion to be baptized at the Easter Vigil to complete your initiation and be brought into full communion with the Catholic Church. See in these days the time to grow closer to the Lord, to reject sin and profess God and worship and embrace him and ask him to give you total obedience to the will of God so that we can break the disobedience of the past, break the delusions that make us follow everything in the world and listen only to the voice of Christ. And so, my dear catechumens, first, if you are ready to enter into that, then we will now begin our rite of election. 